I recently posted a video on how to do a brow lift and many of you asked questions on how I was able to inject underneath the eyebrow and not cause an eyelitosis. Now unpacking this is a very interesting way of understanding the anatomy because of course we are all very afraid of causing eyelitosis. Now many years ago when I first started training I remember training an ophthalmologist who told me that they injected the eyelid close to where I was just warning my trainees to be careful of injecting and they used four units so four times more than I would normally use and he'd never had an eyelitosis and this really got me thinking much more about the anatomy. So by the end of the show if you watch it all you should understand the nuances of different muscles and how they are differently affected to what you may have first thought when you first learned how to inject Botox in this area. So many people were concerned that my injection points were so close to the eyelid that I may cause an eyelid drop. Now let's first consider what actually happens if you inject the eyelid. So people have purposefully injected the eyelid with toxin and you'll be surprised to find out if you didn't know this already that what will actually happen is your eyelid will actually lift. And that is because the superficial muscles that are in the eyelid are actually the protractors of the eyelid. They are not the retractors. So the retractor muscle is the levator palpebrae muscle which runs in the orbit. And this is what we are concerned about not injecting. Whereas the orbicularis oculi, which actually runs in the eyelid, if you inject that, actually allows your eyelid to open slightly. Because when you close your eyes, it's contracting. You relax it, it actually opens. So it's actually the reverse of what many people think because they haven't thought about where the muscle that lifts the eyelid actually lives, which is in your orbit. So understanding this is the first thing about, around why you don't need to worry too much around eyelitosis. But there are other elements too, because of course we can get eyelitosis from injecting superior to the eye. So we need to think about what injections are likely to be causing that and what we can do to avoid it, and why my style of injection in my career has never caused an eyelitosis in any of my patients. So that's part one of what to understand. We need to think about which muscles are likely to be involved and what injecting toxin actually does to them. If you're injecting superficially and you inject orbicularis oculi, you will find that the eyelids actually more likely to lift. In fact, it's now a treatment for eyelitosis when you've injected the other muscle, the levator palpebrae muscle. Knowing precisely where these muscles are and what layer they're in will give you confidence to inject in areas where other less thought out clinicians will think you're going to get an eyelitosis. So let's think about the layers in this area. Obviously at the top you have the dermis, then you have a thin layer of fat in the hypodermis, and then you have the orbicularis oculi muscle. Underneath that there's the retroorbicularis oculi fat pad, then you have the orbital septum, and underneath that you have the preceptal fat pads, and underneath that, you have the levator palpebrae muscle. So there are actually multiple layers. So to help you understand this, let's think about the face and the anatomy in this area, not with all the difficult medical terms, but just as a sandwich. Imagine that you're having a sandwich on your mom's favorite tablecloth. That represents the most precious part of the anatomy, the orbit. We don't want to get ketchup on the precious tablecloth. And of course, if you make your sandwich directly on the tablecloth, you're going to make a huge mess and cause your mum a lot of upset. Or your dad. Might be your dad's favourite tablecloth too. Um, but what we actually do in real life is you have layers that protect that tablecloth. We have a placemat on top of that. You could think of the placemat as the preceptal fat pads. And on top of that, you have the plate, which you can think of as the orbital membrane. 
On top of that, you have your first layer of bread, which is the retro orbicularis oculi fat pad. On top of that, you may have the meat, the muscle. On top of that is where we try and put our ketchup. And one layer on top of that is the dermis. So actually, the ketchup is shielded from the tablecloth by multiple different layers. And it's exactly like that with injecting botulinum toxin. We're actually injecting tiny amounts just on top of the muscle, and we have multiple other layers shielding those important structures in the orbit. And it's the depth of injection rather than the position relative to the eyelid that keeps those internal structures safe. Another question that we got many times was how many units do I like to place in the dots underneath the eyebrow? I find it really helpful using just a one unit dose and this is enough to get a difference. I'm not necessarily trying to paralyze the bulk of the muscle. I just want to affect those fibers that are pulling the eyebrow down. This is also a safer amount. It's a bit like, to go back to our analogy, like using less ketchup. You're just like less likely to get an inadvertent mess. So small amounts, wherever you can use them, are always safer. As a general rule of thumb, the dose-response curve is less likely to cause you a problem. So that's why I use one unit. Um, I typically use one to three units underneath the brow, and then I'll use my stronger doses where the licensed dose is higher at the lateral canthus. In terms of dilution, I usually use the standard dilution of 2.5 mils in 100 units of botulinum toxin, um, but sometimes I'll use a more concentrated form if I'm in an area where I just want to make sure there's less chance of a spread. But I used to do that a lot more than I do these days. I've had so few complications that I, I very rarely use different doses. Uh, when I do use the more concentrated version, it's in the lower face. Injecting the depressor angularis oris or the mentalis, I feel safer using a more concentrated dose. For most of the rest of the face, I dilute 100 units with 2.5 mils of bacteriostatic saline. Another question we got was, does the brow lift occur from injecting below the eyebrow or also from injecting above the eyebrow? And in fact, years ago, I had patients who would come and say, no, I, I've had an eyebrow lift. The, pa the doctor injected here. You have to do the same in order to get a lift. Now, if you think about the anatomy, this, is, this cannot be true because these are the elevators. And if you inject the elevator of the eyebrow, you're going to decrease the power of that muscle to lift. So you're actually more likely to get a drop. And in fact, most of us are very afraid of injecting directly above the eyebrow in the frontalis muscle because that is where you lose the eyebrow arch. So you only get a lift when you affect the little tug of war that's going on with the eyebrow between the two muscles. One's an elevator, one's a depressor. So if we weaken the depressor, which is the orbicularis oculi muscle, and you can see this because when you, if you want to lower your eyebrow, shut your eyes very tightly and you will see your eyebrow comes down and that's caused by orbicularis oculi and the frontalis muscle does the opposite. So the tug of war is won by reducing the strength of the depressor, which is orbicularis oculi, not by treating the frontalis muscle above it. However, the other way we create eyebrow lifts is by increasing the resting tone of the lateral frontalis muscle. And this is done when we treat the middle of the frontalis and the lateral gets more active. So in some of my videos, you'll see that I draw cat ears, we call them, uh, and I tell injectors generally not to inject in those cat ears. Now those cat ears represent the elevating part of the frontalis muscle. So it's when I say that it reduces the chance of a ptosis, I'm talking about a brow ptosis, not an eyelid ptosis. And this is one of the biggest confusions that happens earlier on for people, is differentiating between a drop in the eyebrow and a drop in the eyelid. And nearly all of the cases I get sent are actually drops in the eyebrow, not in the eyelid. The actual eyelid is stable, but it's rested on by a heavy eyebrow 
typically if they have extra fat above their eyes and that's resting or they have an eyelid shape that just naturally transmits energy into the eyelid it confuses injectors but that is all to do with reducing the strength of the frontalis muscle in this crucial area that elevates your eyebrow laterally. So the more botulinum toxin that you place in this area, the more likely you're going to have that problem. And so particularly in females and not so much in males, I don't treat that area because I want there to be an eyebrow arch. Females also tend to use their eyebrows in a different way to men, which is to do with applying makeup. Every morning, if you apply makeup, you tend to lift your eyebrows up whereas men do not notice the loss of movement laterally. So you can actually treat men quite often with more Botox in the cat ear and weaken the frontalis muscle all the way across, and it does not cause any problem or concern at all, whereas a female will miss that ability to raise their eyebrows and apply makeup. Other injectors were concerned by not treating the cat ear area that you may then cause a Spock brow. And in fact, this could be part of a Spock brow, Typically, I think of a Spock brow as a medial brow ptosis and a lateral brow lift. So if you overtreat the middle and undertreat the side, then absolutely you get this, this uh, disequilibrium and you have too much activity and too much heaviness in the middle and that creates this unpleasant shape. So it is possible that you could be on that spectrum. Like everything we do, you're trying to make the adjustments to get a happy medium. So I want a little bit of a brow lift, not a huge one. And I adjust that sometimes by putting one unit in the top of that triangle of the cat ear. And that's typically what I'll do when I know the patient or when I'm confident that they have quite a strong frontalis, I will treat within the cat ear area. I think sometimes people see these, uh, these markings and they think it's a definite no-go area. It's actually not. It's just an area that I'm more cautious of injecting and it's helpful if you know you're creating an eyebrow lift and if you don't know the patient, to start with leaving it undertreated and then to treat them at a follow-up and then make a note of where that treatment was. So then you have a plan that will work each time you see them. But the first time you treat someone, particularly if they're a little bit older and brow drops a little bit more likely, it just makes sense to see what happens with those units, get the result back in two weeks, and then make an adjustment, learn from it, and then you can repeat safely whatever you learn from that patient in the first course of treatment. So I hope that's helped you understand in more detail the three important muscles, particularly with respect to eyelid drops. So we've got the levator pulpary muscle, the orbicularis oculi muscle, and the frontalis muscle. And if you take away anything from this, it's the three-dimensional injection depth that matters most in terms of safe injecting around the eye.